I'm Tracy. And I'm Sharon. And this is our podcast, Feet of Clay, Confessions of the Cult Sisters. On our last podcast, we started delving really deep into the putrid pits of what is now known as purity culture. So you see how I always Mm. sneak in alliteration, Tracy? (laughs) Are you sick of it yet? I do see that. I am not quite sick of that. I think there's more coming. (laughs) So for all of you out there, this is part two of that conversation. So if you haven't yet heard the last episode, please go back and listen to that first and then come back to this one. And again, as with our first one, since we're getting very personal with this, with our own sexual histories, and on this one, some virginity stories, if you have Mm -hmm. kids, you probably would want to come back to this later. Yes. And if you are one of our kids out there listening, you will not offend us if you turn this off. It's your choice. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) One other thing I want to say is that Clearly, we're talking about personal stories that involve us, but also involve our former spouses. And it is not at all our intention to try to make fun of someone or make someone feel bad. Look, we were all, we were all fucked up, right? I mean, Tracy, you and I recognize that. Other people might not necessarily believe that, but but we see it for what it was and how we were all really struggling. You know, I, I I think we were all, in one sense, perpetrators and all, in one sense, victims. Yes. So, again, this is not about trying to hurt anyone. It's just about trying to be really, really real, right? Well said. And I think as I get into my story, we'll see that men are absolutely also victims of purity culture. This is not good for men either. Uh, And as women, you know, we've been the ones that have been complicit in kind of keeping, keeping quiet about this subject. So we're going on record now to talk about it because it's not good for anybody. And I think you'll start to see in our stories of just how locked away we became and how that's not healthy for anybody. That's right. All right. When we recorded part one of this topic, we did not have an episode title yet. I think you and I both thought it had to have something to do with virgins, clearly. And so I was thinking verified virgins. (laughs) Because we were. We were verified (laughs) card-carrying virgins. Of course, that didn't last very long, right? (laughs) It actually solves itself pretty quickly. (laughs) Yeah. Although, wait a second. Like, we weren't actually... We were self-verified or self-proclaimed. No, right? Because there wasn't like the test. Nobody tested us like they do in some Middle Eastern cultures, right? So, Well, as we get into my story, I think I had verified proof of my virginity. Okay. Well, that means you were a better virgin than me. Uh, It was not not good. (laughs) And then the other thing is like, I thought about, how about volcanoes? What do you think about that? Voracious volcanoes. Is is this because it's alliterative? Well, it is that. I can't even, I can't even also... say alliterative. <laughs> peas and bees. Uh, what? Ooh, peas ooh. and bees. I didn't even think ooh. about that. Penis, vagina. Ah. Hey, it peas really works. and bees. Yeah. Okay. okay. So verified virgins and voracious volcanoes. But now we're going to have to expand on what the volcano part means. What, yeah, what so do you, you think? Y- 
uh, what do I think? You're the one that came up with volcano. Because <laughs> <laughs> um, definitely I got the virgin part down. And um, and as you'll learn, I was also a card-carrying homeschooling mother. So we actually made volcanoes in our homeschool well, science I'm sorry, projects. but homeschooling moms <laughs> – you don't have the the monopoly on that. My kids went to school and we still made those volcanoes. So it's oh. not just you. Yeah, you're not okay. better than me. You're not better okay. than me. <laughs> <laughs> and there's definitely a reaction, right? That that base that reacts with that acid. And uh, so I guess for me, the, the volcano was we eventually erupted. <laughs> right? Right? <laughs> That's right. That's right. Well, and you know, there's that boiling over volcano of burning magma lust that we're all fighting against. So maybe it's that, or maybe it's just because it sounds good and we'll just leave it at that. We'll leave it at that because you were married. I thought that was the reason you got married was for lust. So, <laughs> Well, maybe that's the reason you got married. That well, I, I got married because it was God's will. That's true. It was that's one of, one of two choices. Right. All right. So if we do uh, this title with the V's, now that that's mm-hmm. settled, are you ready to pick up now where we left off and spare these poor people our wordplay? Yes. <laughs> yes, I am. And I have our notes from the last time. So if we recall, I'd come up with the seven P's as the categories that we would use for our last episode. We discussed, number one, the promises, promises of God, according to fundamental Christianity. Notice I pronounced it correctly this time. <laughs> <laughs> number two, the predicament, right? So this this human condition of all of us trying to measure up to this standard Number three, we talked a lot about purity culture, which is what it's called these days, not what we knew it as back then. But before we go into more of this, is there anything that you wished you had said in part one that you want to add here before we get going? Yeah, I think one of the things I had alluded to at the very, very beginning is that we as women have been complicit in this message. And I was thinking a lot about that because, you know, it wasn't good for me as a woman, but then we had daughters. And so I don't know if part of us that either or that we talked about in the first episode, it's either this pathway of this purity culture and this virginity culture, this abstinent culture, or you just are sleeping with anyone you want, sexual disease, you know, unhealthiness. And so if that's part of why we stay silent in this for so long, I'm not quite sure, but I know that it's time for more women, especially older women like us, to go on record and say, hey, this is our experience with purity culture. This is our experience with being virgins on our wedding night. This is where it was super unhealthy for us, and we don't want to be complicit in that message anymore. Right, right. I realized that we had mentioned a number of the last day's articles. These were articles that originally appeared in the newsletter, which was really a magazine, so kind of a misnomer there, and then were later reproduced and printed in pamphlet form that we called tracks. tracks. And there was another one. Yep, there was another one in there that I forgot to mention. It was called Love Versus Romance by Kathleen Dillard. Another message that is not good, not good. I had found this article a while back ago. And for those of you who have found us on Instagram, it's feetofclay.cultsisters. I point this out because 
one of the things that that is mentioned in there is, and I'll, I'll quote it, there is a place for romance within a true godly commitment, but this romance cannot be the foundation of the relationship itself. You must look at romance within a relationship like icing on the cake. And just thinking back in some of the stories that you'll hear about about my marriage, all I could say is like, not too much icing, folks. Don't get too much icing. Oh <laughs> my gosh! I, okay, I and, just want to imagine. I want to imagine enjoying a dessert of German chocolate cake without any icing, or even <laughs> carrot cake without any icing. It's not well, complete. It's, it's not, not right. complete. And of course, she's saying, "Well, you can't just have all icing." And it's like, I, I, I know. Of course not. But of course, you emphasis, can't have all icing. But you can't you, have all just cake either. Cake. <laughs> <laughs> so it was very indicative. Just the emphasis on the godly commitment, um, yeah. which you'll see was definitely a part of our relationships, right? Yes, that commitment was without a doubt. So now we're going to discuss our next set of the P's, preparations. That's us getting mm. ready for this amazing marriage that we're going to go into. The pain that we actually experienced in those marriages, the parting, what we did when hmm. the pain became too much and we just, we couldn't do it anymore. And then the after party that we discovered when it was all over. So you ready to so dive into this part? four P's, right? It is four, four P's. on the P trail. <laughs> on the P, 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 P trail. All right. Preparations. In getting ready for our marriages, our godly, godly marriages, I don't know about you, but we didn't do any making out. You know, we held hands. <laughs> we, we held Too hands. Much icing. Actually, for me, though, remember, I was going into this not like you, like you came into it with a with an attraction to your mm-hmm. fiance. I came into it not starting with that and then just letting myself go, okay, okay, this is what God wants. This is what God wants. So this is what I got to do. So there's a whole lot of dissociation on my part. So I didn't miss out on the fact that we weren't making out while we were engaged. And I, you know what? Did you even kiss when you were engaged? We did kiss probably a couple weeks before our wedding, which we'll get into why we kind of came up with that answer for us specifically. But for those of you guys who haven't heard Sharon's interview with I Was a Teenage Fundamentalist, uh, episode 76, uh, she talks about her marriage that's basically like an arranged marriage. And I have a couple questions on that because you were starting to date and be engaged one of the earliest couples at Last Day's Ministries. And at that time- We were the second couple. You're the second couple. And at that time, obviously, it's a co-ed environment, co-ed commune. You had, what, maybe- 30 to 40 people at that time when you were getting married? Or was it a little bit more? I don't remember, honestly. Somewhere in there. Yeah. So what I'm interested in, because I came to Last Days when we already had a school and a lot of teachings in place, but you got Mm -hmm. married so early at Last Days Ministries. And so in that commune environment, I was wondering how you guys set the rules for yourselves or were they laid Mm. down for you as far as how you're to behave with each other as an engaged couple? I don't remember clearly like there being absolute specific rules. I do remember 
I, I know we were talked to about how to be careful and guard yourselves against lust and temptation and that kind of thing, which, you know, for me at the time wasn't, that uh, wasn't what I was worried about. <laughs> I was worried about the other way. And we would, you know, we would take walks together and we would walk between uh, the, the house, the big ranch house where we all lived and had dinner to the office building warehouse. And I was in charge of doing computer tape backup changes. And the things I remember, the, the, the physical things I remember prior to the the wedding were we would touch barefoot feet under the table while we would eat. And that was, <laughs> <laughs> I know that was really pushing the limit, wasn't it? Wow. We did hold hands. I do remember the first time that um, he kissed me. And again, I, I, you know, I'm not here trying to... <sighs> this is so hard because I don't want to hurt anyone. And this is also, this is my reality. I had actually been groped and kissed by my high school choir teacher when I was 16, which was a very awkward, Hmm. horrible thing, but I just froze. And some of the work I'm doing with the therapist now and kind of looking back at, at, at trauma responses, I recognize that, you know, the, oh, the teacher, yeah, sure. yeah, he, he showed up, he showed up at our house. This was right after I graduated high school. He showed up at the house, uh, sat on the couch you know, talking with me and my mom. And then he, she left and, and, but I could tell he'd been drinking. I could smell it on his breath and, mm-hmm. and, uh, it was in the middle of the day. And then at some point he just reaches over, he grabs one of my breasts in his hand and he grabs me and starts kissing me and sticking his tongue in my, in, in my mouth. And I did not know what to do or say. And, and I know now that a lot of that's conditioning, you know, you grow up as a child of alcoholic and you learn to just set aside anything that is your own sense of identity or boundaries and I remember when he finished, he said, you are a really good kisser. And Oh, my gosh. And I said, thank you. You are too. And then oh, I somehow shit. got him to leave. But it was like, you know, I was just frozen. So that's what I recognize is like that my, my response is just a freeze response. And so I already had that, you know, that history, which, of course, then I just shoved aside, you know, don't do nobody to talk to about it, nobody to 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 deal with and i think i internalized and blamed myself too like i must have been too tempting or i don't know i don't know what the bullshit was but it was out of the blue because i'd always looked at him as like almost a father figure so it was really Ugh. it was a really pretty crappy thing and right which just be hold it right there because this is just indicative of how this permeates culture even outside of the christian culture right so that's a that's a horrifying story that a trusted teacher that I'm sure at that age you were looking to as a mentor uh, would right. take that advantage of you. And then right. you don't feel that you have an ability to talk to anyone about it. And then you internalize that. So um, definitely, definitely terribly, terribly sorry about that. And, and it really goes to show the importance of having these conversations and bringing these out so that people know this is not normal. This is not to be accepted. And we do need to be a safe space for people to come and talk to us. Right. So then the first time that my fiance wanted to kiss me was sitting in the office, sitting on the desk 
in his office and he, you know, he went to kiss me. And then afterwards he said, okay, now open your mouth. So I did. And, you know, again, I know that I pretty much just dissociated from it. I mean, I can remember, I can remember the poster on the wall in the office. I remember the whole thing. So it's kind of, it's embedded in my memory. And it's not that he did anything wrong. That's what I just want to be clear. It's not like, oh my God, that was a horrible thing. I mean, we're engaged to want to kiss your fiance. Mm -hmm. There's nothing wrong with that at all. But what my history was, and also the fact that I, I couldn't say to myself that this was something I didn't choose, but that's really what it was. And so that was hard. That was a, that was difficult. I remember one other time we were on a burn, there was a burn schedule going on and um, uh, can you explain that just a little bit for our listeners <laughs> who don't understand uh, Last Days what, what Ministries? Okay. Or- we, had, we published this magazine called The Last Days Newsletter, and it was supposed to go out every six weeks, which was an internal joke because it never did. It was always later than that. And what would happen, at least from our point of view, many of us there, was that Keith would just delay and procrastinate. And, you know, whether he was waiting on God for inspiration or he was just delaying and procrastinating, I don't know, but it'd be getting later and later and past the time. And then finally, he and Melody would finally get their act together and get these things written. And then as soon as it was written, now it became a crisis for all (laughs) of us because now between the art room and the typesetting and the dark room and the printing press and then the mailing, it just became we're all working almost 24-7 because this is God's mission. This is God's word. We got to get this thing out. And so, you know, you'd go at least 24 hours without sleep, sometimes 48 hours without sleep, and we'd call it the burn schedule. And occasionally you'd grab a little bit of sleep here and there wherever you could. And I remember one evening, and I don't know if I was waiting for new galleys to proofread or if it was waiting for something on the collating machine to get fixed so that we'd have the magazines and go back and run the mailing machine. It was called a Kirk Rudy thing. Anyway, I don't remember why, but for some reason, I'd gone into the dark room and I'd laid down on the floor so that I could just catch a few, you know, I don't know, half hour of sleep or something like that. And then I'm I'm gently woken up because my fiance has come in and he sat down on the floor next to me and then he lays on top of me and mm. kisses me and then we're fully clothed but I can feel that he's got an erection and mm. it just felt I just felt guilty and wrong like this is crossing a boundary in God's eyes cuz we're not married yet you're not. So, and had you had any conversations with him up until that point of these are going to be our boundaries and we're not going to cross those? Or was this just something you were kind of intuitively figuring out about each other? Like what made him think that that was okay? Because as somebody who was at Last Days Ministries and did have relationships, we would have said that would have been a step too far for most of the teaching that we were giving and receiving my guess is it was a step too far in his conscience. That would be my guess. But no, I didn't talk to him about it. I didn't talk to anybody about it. Because my response is a freeze response. Mm -hmm. 
And as we got closer to the time of the wedding, I was given this book by Tim and Beverly LaHaye called The Act of Marriage. (laughs) It is just (laughs) absurd and horrible and awful on, on so many levels, so many levels. And in it, you know, there's all these tips, right? And mm. and I remember they're talking about doing these these pelvic exercises, and I don't even remember what the, that was about. If that was supposed to strengthen you or loosen you, or who who knows? I remember something about considering inserting your fingers into yourself to stretch yourself a bit so that you wouldn't be as uncomfortable. And of course, I mean, I, you know, I'm a girl, I've had my my period, I've had tampons, I'm not unfamiliar with the anatomy. But it was just it was just weird. And then the other thing that was very clear was they put this huge emphasis on making sure you had lubrication. And I think it was actually named brand named Johnson and Johnson's KY jelly. KY remember- jelly. Yes. Yeah, KY jelly. <laughs> <laughs> and you know what I have to say, and, and this is like awful. I remember later in our marriage at some point, my husband and I joking, joking about we should buy this stuff by the 55 gallon drum. <laughs> and it's like, okay, so why think about it? Why do you need so much artificial lubrication? Well, because uh, yeah, any any woman who's had sex knows why. <laughs> if you're into it, yes. you get wet. And if you're not into it, you don't. And that's not, again, about, oh, he was not a good lover. It, it's not about that. It's the whole psychology of how we got where we got. And there's a wonderful book called The Body Keeps the Score that's talking about trauma and other things and really great research-based stuff. And what I have begun to realize is that I used to venerate cognition, right? You know, your frontal lobe, like what this is what's supreme about humanity is how we can think through things and, and not really giving so much value or credence to what our bodies are telling mm-hmm. us. Yeah. So my preparation was very limited. That's what it consisted of. Wow, that's what I got. uh, Oh, you know what? Let me just say this thing as far as artificial lubrication. Look, I realize that doesn't mean that if if a woman needs that, that means there's something wrong or abnormal about her. And hey, I'm postmenopausal now. And you know what? From time to time, a little bit of lube is a is a helpful thing. And so I'm not trying to make a blanket statement like that, but I'm just saying what my my experience was. And that was the expectations laid out. And if yeah, you were expected familiar, to need it, you, yes, yeah. you were expected to need it. And I think that is the thing of like this goes hand in hand with it. I I guess I want to ask you because my story's got so many similarities, and we'll get to it in just a minute. But uh, as far as your own natural lubrication, have you ever been in a situation? masturbating. I know we talked about that a little bit in our last episode. So again, if you haven't heard that, go back and listen to that. But is that something that you either were familiar enough with your body to recognize that you had some natural lubrication in different times? Or was that so few and far between you didn't put that together? No, I did not put that together. I don't know that I actually did earlier on with masturbation. No, I did not put it together that, hey, this is, there might be a reason why 
certainly, <laughs> you know, later with the after party, I recognized and learned that it's like, geez, I've got a veritable fountain down there. So- <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes. And what is so sad in all of this is just seeing how young you were, how much this message is just put in our brain, wrong, 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 wrong. And then, of course, now you're married, it's supposed to be okay, but you know nothing. You don't know how your body works. You don't know these things that you don't know. And so the expectation is you do apply this lubrication and then the mechanics of Mm -hmm. the act then work. The the mechanics work. And, you know, I did have times where I had orgasms. You know, we're jumping ahead. We need to, we just, let's stay on preparation. We're we're (laughs) jumping in on preparation. And again, reiterate how old you were when you were preparing for this night. I was, I was 18 when I got engaged and 19 when I got married. Okay. So my preparation was was very similar, although um, Tim and Beverly LaHaye, I think they went on to write several more books. They had kind of gone either out of fashion a little bit by the time I was a much older, wiser woman of 23 <laughs> when I got married, gauged and married. So at Last Days Ministries, you have to have this special relationship. I think you went through that. Same thing right. even you know, a couple of years later when I was uh, starting to have a relationship with my soon-to-be spouse. So we, we worked together for a long time, but we didn't become an official in a relationship until July. I'm pretty sure it was July. And within three weeks of him coming to me saying that he thinks God has called me to him, within three weeks of that, we were engaged. Oh my God, you know what? There must be something magic about the three weeks because (laughs) that's what happened with me as well. Only it wasn't him coming to me first. It was Keith coming to me in three weeks and saying, yeah, you want to marry him? And (laughs) three weeks, that's the magic number. Oh, wait, wait, wait. That's the magic number. I got a theme going here, Tracy. Think about it. We had seven Ps because that's the Bible completion number. And then we have three as in the Trinity, three weeks. What could be more perfect than that? So perfect. And we got, you know, engaged in July. No, I guess we got together in July and engaged three weeks later in August. And then by December, we were married. So from Mm. July, so from the beginning of July, where, you know, we're still struggling, I don't know, you know, if this guy likes me or not, from July till December, we're married. And again, the foundation of all of this is anything that excites sexual excitement in the opposite sex is sin. So, Mm -hmm. um, and I, you know, you guys had heard before, I hadn't masturbated and I maintained that through my 23 years, you know, and again, also we lived in dormitories. Uh, I ended up working at the school. And so I was always in a dorm setting with at least three girls in my immediate bedroom uh, on the three high bunks. And so there also wasn't, and we worked, we worked from nine o'clock in the morning till well, you know, you 10 o'clock at you just, night. You just would have had to have been quiet. You couldn't have gotten really vocal, uh, you know, but you could have snuck it. You could have. I could have. And I guess the effort to go exploring would have taken a lot more permission than I believed I could have. Um, okay. And so now, you know, I'm in this rocket ship of being engaged and heading, hurtling towards what's going to be my wedding night as a virgin. And so the book that we were given was Intended for Pleasure by Ed Wheat and Gay Wheat. 
Mm. So one of the things I was very sensitive to was this kind of nod, nod, wink, wink, kind of pushing at the elbow. I don't know if you experienced that. It sounded like Keith kind of had a little bit of that going on where it's almost like your virginity is on display for everybody. And they're all doing this wink and a nod of you're heading towards the night where it's going to all It's all going to be gone. Did, <laughs> yes. Did I, I can't remember if in our last episode, did I talk about how Leonard Ravenhill proclaimed that we were both virgins during the wedding ceremony? Yes, you you did mention that. I don't think we punctuated that enough because that's also underlining all of this. And so there is a sense of embarrassment. I was embarrassed. It definitely mm-hmm. embarrassed me. Did did they um, say did that get called out in your wedding ceremony as well? I don't recall. So our wedding ceremony ended up being two hours long. And some of that, I was, <laughs> I was rocking not back there. And, you were not there. <laughs> I was not there. Oh, my God. God bless you. Everybody who was not there, you should be thankful. Uh, <laughs> lots of reasons to get into that. But at one point, I was rocking back and forth thinking of passing out in my wedding just so the preacher would stop. Oh, man. <laughs> um, but there was definitely a sense of, the virgin bride is to be praised. I mean, and it's in all of the cultural, you know, symbolism. We're in the white dress. We're, you know, walking down the aisle. The father is giving us away, you know, to the betrothed. And so we've, you know, grown up with that, didn't really think a lot of all of that real symbolism. But, you know, for in the 80s, I was married in 1986. I mean, the rest of the world, I mean, Madonna, she's having her, her, her music debut and like a virgin. I mean, so the world has gone on and moved into a lot more sexual freedom than right. we were enjoying in our lives. And so all of those symbols became very palpable and real, the virgin bride. And um, so much so that this book that that we were given had pages that they said you can read up until, you know, whatever page number, and then you have to put it away and not read it until your either wedding night or honeymoon where you can read it with your spouse because it gets into so many of the specifics. And you are not, even at this stage, allowed to do anything that's going to fuel that excitement because you can't lawfully fulfill that excitement until you are married. Right. And so it was just weird to me. <laughs> yes. Um, very was, weird. It was very just weird. weird. You know, I, I think since then I've learned I'm, I am an intuitive, spontaneous person. And so I don't like a whole lot of by the letter planning in certain areas of my life. And right, especially my sex life, I felt like I've been given this blueprint that we've got to follow and we're both reading it and we're both reading it sexually. And I, my fiance at the time would actually do check-ins with me to see how far I had got. In the book? In the book! (laughs) And I, it's been a long time and I did not go back and read certain pages before we did this episode, but I, I just remember feeling, feeling icky reading this, this book about how I was going to perform on my wedding night. It just takes all the spontaneity and spark mm, and humanity uh, and fun and freedom. It just, it just totally obliterates all of that, doesn't it? It does. And, you know, now, you know, like I said, 
just to reiterate exactly what you're saying, this does not mean that my spouse was a bad lover or that he did anything wrong. He was absolutely also a victim of this purity culture. He was also a virgin on his wedding night. He was also shutting the valve of excitement off. He was also trying to live a pure life. And then he's been given this book. And then with this mandate that he's the head of this household that is about to form, he's wanting to make sure he does everything right by this book. And so at one point, I guess we'll get into where we're almost trying to call up. Well, what does the book say next? What am I? What am I supposed to do next? Are you? Are you talk, <laughs> wait, wait. Are you talking about on your wedding night? Uh, yes, uh, you're reading I mean, it together on your wedding no, night. No, we didn't read it together, but I could tell that our brains were both wanting to make sure we weren't violating the instructions of the book. Okay. Wow. Um, so we had, you know, determined some of our own rules. Yeah. What, we what, were, how did, how did you go about doing in our that? Very quick engagement. And then of course we didn't have to wait very long. And I also wanted to reiterate why that was, because what, if you go back to one of, I don't remember which P it is, but the two reasons that you can get married are to avoid <laughs> lust, right? It's better to marry than to burn or for the kingdom of God. So now we're getting married for the kingdom of God, but still we can't burn with lust. So get married fast. Um, And so that's, (laughs) and so we did, we got married really fast. Fast. And most of that was really using the energy to make sure we weren't stirring each other up before the wedding night. Wow. (laughs) And so the rules were, yes, we could go on walks together. We could hold hands together. I think we were counseled by other couples in the ministry to not be alone in a room. And that had two reasons. Mm. One, so that we wouldn't be stirring each other up. And the other was we were still leaders of a school and we had to avoid that appearance of evil. And at that time, maybe we were at 150 people. It was a bit busier and it was harder to find time alone (laughs) and a place to even be alone. You know what's amazing Um, as I think about this is like, how did you actually have time or space to even really get to know one another if you can never be alone together, like just to be able to talk and share emotions or or goals or fears or I, I mean, you had no privacy. We had no privacy. And so our connection was built when we led the school together and was completely fostered by how we viewed our roles and how God was leading us in our roles. And we did connect pretty well on that. Um, We also, you know, had our own private prayer meeting with a few of the other, uh, mostly other brothers. Uh, So on Saturday night, there was a handful of us that that had our own, it was not ministry sponsored, but we had prayer meeting together. So I got to know his heart in prayer. And we sorry. (laughs) I'm sorry. I'm just thinking that's, I remember we would say that, you know, you can really, you can really learn somebody's heart and who they are as you hear them pray. As you hear them pray. Oh, but but so, it's a public performance. I'm sorry. Those fucking prayer meetings are public performances. Well, and it definitely doesn't give you a chance to, how are you going to live together? Uh, right. You know, how do you feel about finances? How do you feel about child rearing? How do you feel, you know, how do you like to spend your free time? Because at that time, the only free time we had, we spend it either 
going into town and just getting our necessities that we needed to get to or going to church. Like Sunday, we all had Sundays off and we all went to churches and became involved. Well, you guys went to churches because you went to church Uh, because you were a better Christian. (laughs) I did not go to church on Sunday. (laughs) I went out out into the field and played with the horses. Well, that's much better for your soul than ours because, you know, for those of you who don't know uh, the Garden Valley area, and we have a couple episodes where we put some in our show notes, but Leonard Ravenhill was a neighbor, David Wilkerson was a neighbor, and so they were often preaching and teaching at these surrounding churches. So, of course, you're going to take advantage of these great men of God on Sunday. Great Uh, men of God. (laughs) So great. So great. So great. (laughs) So one of the things, so we determined that we would not French kiss um, because that seemed to be a step towards really exciting, you know, and the book talks about, I can't remember if it uses this terminology, but I know other teachings have where it's like the engine that you're just revving up and then you get it to a point where you can't go backwards. And so your your energy is to prevent yourself from getting to that point. And this was very mysterious for me because if you remember, I didn't masturbate. So right. I had always stopped my engine way, 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 way before. And so I would become perplexed of how do you even get to such a point that you couldn't go backwards? Like that mystified mm, mm. my brain. <laughs> um, and I had never kissed another boy ever. You know, I got saved early. I couldn't date a non-Christian, didn't have any relationships, went to last days very early where you couldn't have them unless they were sanctioned. And so my spouse was my first boyfriend, my first serious relationship, and I had never kissed a boy except for on the playground in elementary school, little pecks on on Mm -hmm, the cheek and mm -hmm. maybe a stolen one on the lips. And so even French kissing was was a was a mystifying thing to me. And so I right, had so to you had drawn go, the you guys had drawn the line there, but did you we like had drawn so the you, line there, but but then we did moved you do it. little pecks? <laughs> oh, oh wait, you you moved it. We moved the line. So here here's here's what happened. So we're engaged and I had to go home to see my dad for something and my spouse was not my fiance at the time was not coming with me. So he drove me to the airport and Justin, I don't know what got into me, but maybe because in a family of travelers we always kissed people goodbye. I leaned up, he's taller, and I pecked him on the lips to say goodbye to him because I'm flying away. And he was so angry with me. <laughs> Wait, wait. He was angry with you? He was angry with me. How did you know he was Um, angry? How did right then and there? Did he right then and there he recoiled? He recoiled from me. Wow. He had a look of astonishment. I meant it completely innocently. And, you know, I had to leave and go catch a plane. And we ended up talking on the phone as I was away. And he later apologized. He said he was just, he was caught off guard. He felt like I had crossed the line without having a conversation with him and that I had taken the lead in something that was definitely his territory to take the lead in. So (laughs) to initiate a kiss is not... In his mind, that's not what a woman is allowed to do. Only a man can do that. Yes. And that is Wow, definitely, that was a gender thing. So that was a gender thing for him. It was a head of the household thing. It was the spiritual 
protection because okay, he's wait, wait. I, spiritual protector ask, of me. <laughs> okay, I'm jumping ahead a little something, and I'll we'll come back to this, but I'm just curious as it comes up, because one of the complaints that my husband had for me in the as years went on was that I did not initiate sex, and he was upset that I did not initiate. But you're saying that your husband didn't think that you should initiate it because you were the woman? And I think also because we weren't married yet. Okay. And, okay. Well, then, and, yeah. And we had set we had set boundaries. My in my head, the set boundary was French kissing and heavy petting, but a kiss on the lips goodbye didn't seem to fall into that category to me. But so light petting was head, okay. Wait, wait. You said no heavy petting. What was there? Was there <laughs> so, light petting like with a feather? Uh, I just think that if you're in an airport in public that you can kiss someone on the lips, whether it's your mother, your brother. Right. Uh, and so I didn't think that I had crossed that line, but clearly he did. And mm. he did not think it was my place. So all that to say, we spent so much of that really short engagement <laughs> working through crap like that. And I was hurt. I was clearly hurt because I hadn't meant to usurp his authority, which is a thing, right? A woman is mm. never to usurp the authority of a male. And I'm already engaged and clearly I've already violated a principle that he holds dear. So I'm devastated and, mm. you know, and we're away from each other. So we talk. And so I guess in the that conversation, he starts mulling it over and then he thinks it's okay if we don't go from zero to 100 on our wedding night, but that as we got closer to our wedding, that we could introduce kissing. Okay. Uh, since I had already, <laughs> I had already blown it. So. <laughs> <laughs> You'd open that door. He's going to walk through it. So open the door. So oh, the two weeks so crazy. It is. It is. So the two weeks leading up to your wedding, what what were those like? So then again, we're not really supposed to be in a room alone, but there. Uh, remember the big old cafeteria. For those who've been at last days, they'll get this. We had this big old cafeteria, and on the upstairs, we had these rooms that we would let families stay in. They were like hotel Guest rooms, rooms, like hotel rooms. Yeah. Uh, yes, and one of them was usually free for a prayer room. Well, we ended up going into the that room more often than probably we should have because we were alone. And he started making out with me. I can so relate to your response. It just, A, still seemed wrong. And my initial response was, I don't like this. I don't like Mm. this at all. (laughs) But I'm not quite sure if I don't like that because I still am not sure about the boundary. This is what I was telling myself at the time. Right. Is that because I, I don't know. But even then, if I can be very honest, and this is where, you know, again, we're not trying to, to hurt other people, but really unpack some of that stuff that goes on psychologically in the background. I would recognize that now as there's not a lot of chemistry that we have between us. Mm-hmm. And in his approaching me that way, I really felt like a warm body is the best I can can describe it. I didn't feel that it was me. I felt like this is something he is doing to me, not with me, if that makes sense. That makes total sense. That makes total sense. I get it. And I hated it. But I am 
trying so hard to get myself prepared to be what is going to be my role as a godly woman. Did and you, I think did you did you say to yourself, did you acknowledge to yourself in that two week period that I hate this? Or did you I shove did. that away? No, I did acknowledge that to myself. So really? in comes the story from the playground of when I was made fun of for being frigid. Mm. So even, and I guess that's why we also want to keep speaking out about these, even these little things that little girls and little boys have to go through as they're forming, they they have power and they stay with us. And so now I'm calling up, maybe I am frigid. And this mm. is before I'm to be married. And I dismiss that because, you know, logically I'm telling myself, well, it's still wrong. You still haven't given yourself permission because you aren't married. Um, Once you're married and all these barriers are removed, then it will feel differently. So I just soldiered on. Did you ever in that two weeks, did you think maybe I shouldn't get married? Yes. You did. You questioned it. Yes. Because in this um, time frame, again, remember when I said, whenever you ask a question about all of these topics, it's never one simple answer. There's always this <laughs> web of stuff going on. Right. Simultaneously, my dad is also very sick at home. And so my sister's life is having a lot of challenges as well. We're trying to get her to come to, to my wedding. Last days is falling apart. We hinted at it. We're going to do another episode where, you know, you guys have gone to Melanie and basically challenged her leadership. You guys are all gone. That's um, right. We going, were in, going in this. Hawaii at the mm-hmm. at the Youth with a Mission Leadership Training School. Yep, we were all yes. gone. And so YWAM had inserted one of their leaders. And so they're just the I think whole we can say his name. He's still out there. You know what? My rule yes. is... If you are out there still propagating all of this shit, then you're going to get named. And so that was Fred Markert, who is still out there. Fred Markert had come in and he had been a teacher at our ICT school several times. And the students always loved him. He was like, oh, just like this big papa bear kind of person until he was inserted into leadership at last days. And so the whole vibe of the place was was crazy. I'm trying to figure out my family situation. And now I'm about to be married and I'm uncomfortable. And I start losing my hair. I lost significant amount of hair. And this has never happened. You, to you me mean before. it's just you mean it's falling, falling out? out? Falling out. Wow. Like I could take a brush and I knew it was stress. We didn't have the internet to go Google it, but somehow yeah. mm-hmm. <laughs> I, you know, and I, you know, tried to get B vitamins, but it was really upsetting to me so much so that I remember talking to my fiance at the time and, you know, making a, a joke as far as, Hey, I hope I have hair on our wedding because I might not have any left by then. And I was looking to him to say, it's okay, honey, if you're bald, I would love you no matter what. And he didn't. He said, oh, I I hope you have hair too. 
Oh my god. Which is probably a fine thing to oh, say, right? I know, but not when not when you're I mean, think about it. Every woman on oh. earth for her wedding day wants to be the most beautiful she can be, which most of them start starving themselves. You know, it's it's all about this sense of beauty and your hair and for him to not be compassionate about how that would be impacting you. Oh, wow. It was definitely a struggle because that also pointed to had God convinced him. And I knew that that was a struggle that he had had. And, you know, it's all throughout my journals. I do want to be beautiful for my husband. I want him to find me attractive and beautiful. And here I am so stressed out and losing my hair. And I might be bald on my my wedding day. And you know, he doesn't want me to be bald. And, you know, I ended up talking to his best man, who was also a friend of mine. And his best man said all the right things to me. You know, he's not going to care. You're his wife and he loves you. Like he said yeah. all the right things to me, but you know, my I, fiance did not. Uh, so I just want to, I, I just want to go back and say the, all of this in the sense of like, okay, these are just kind of like pathetic stories of, <laughs> of, <laughs> Of <laughs> teens and early 20s and like really ridiculous stuff. But the fact is, it is because of the Christian message of being sold out to Jesus and that the most important thing is to serve the kingdom of God. That is what put us both in these marriages. That's exactly what put yes. us there. And the point here is to try to expose that. While it may sound to some as, isn't that wonderful? You you just want to serve Jesus. You just want to do the right thing. You want to you want to serve God. You want to advance the kingdom of God. You want to help people. And there is nothing wrong with that. Bullshit. There can be mm-hmm. horrible, horrible things wrong with that because it eliminates personal autonomy. It eliminates personal preference. And every human being has the right to self-determination. And these fucked up beliefs take that away from you. And that's why we're talking about this. Amen, if I can (laughs) use that word. Um, So much so that I did try to back out and I said, I don't think I can go through with this. Really? Who did you you talk to? I said that to my fiance at the time. And his answer was... God told me to marry you. I am going to be at that altar whether you show up or not because I'm going to obey God. Almost wow. paraphrased. That's almost word for word. Wow. And well, so that was his self-sacrifice, right? He was sacrificing that, himself for the will of God too. Yes. And so I went back and I thought about that and there were there were some signs as we were conditioned to look for that seemed that this was a good choice for the kingdom of God. And I thought, well, if he's willing to obey God, even when it's not great right now, that's proof that he'll be willing to obey God through the hardships of life. So, okay. And that's how messed up that is. Not he loves me so much through this that he'll love me through the hard times. Not that at all. So right. I want people to understand that it's he's willing to do what he believes God is telling him no matter what. And that was good enough for me. I'm 
virtually speechless. And that never happens to me. You know that. (laughs) Yes. So... And I do want to reiterate, it isn't like, oh, aren't these so so sad stories or, you know, are we just so young and stupid? It was definitely a sense of calling. We are called to lay down our life in every song that we sang, in every verse that we read, and every poem that was written in this, you know, form of Christianity is, my life is nothing. I make my life a living sacrifice. I lay it down. Jesus is the one who laid it all down. Can't we do as much? And so I laid my life down so that I could serve him through the marriage that he had chosen for me. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, let's talk about our actual weddings then. Yep. So that was preparation. <laughs> so- <laughs> <laughs> you, you like you get to preparation age? I'm going to tell you what, girl, there, there was nothing to soothe hemorrhoids this big. <laughs> <laughs> oh. I guess this actually is where we are transitioning now to talk about the pain. And when I say pain, I mean the mental, emotional, psychological, and also a bit of the physical pain that comes Mm -hmm. with, okay, we've prepared, and now we are, now we're getting married. So, and we both discovered, Tracy, that it is not actually a great thing to be a virgin on your wedding night, is it? It is not. And again, this is not just a message for women. This is also a message for men, as you will hear as I tell my story in more detail. Uh, But just definitely that feeling of inadequacy, that feeling like you're not living up to the promises that you held, uh, definitely holds some deep inner pain that took me a long time before I would actually open up, recognize them and eventually deal with them. Right. Okay. Well, so you want me to talk about my wedding first? I I do, because I think that that was exactly inquiring minds want to know when you had done your interview. I was like, well, then, then what happened? How was it? How did it all, <laughs> how did it all go? I uh, And for those of you who want to go back again to the Instagram feed of clay dot cult sisters, there's a great picture of you and your family taken right before your honeymoon. And it's just a precious picture. <laughs> um, to me, it paints the tone so well. You have Keith Green next to your spouse, just kind of happy and ready. And then, you know, a line of all the the ladies in the family. And uh, that was taken right before. So tell yep. us how sitting it down, sitting down and looking kind of haunted. I, I, I when I go back and I look at the wedding pictures, I mean, I see certainly pictures with me smiling. And I see others where I just have this glazed over haunted look. And I know now that there was a lot of dissociation going on for me during that whole experience. And I still was thinking to myself, am I doing the right thing? Jesus, how can this be right? I'm, my heart's going to be divided. I'll, I'll have to please my husband and not just you. And that was, you know, given my mindset, my worldview, my belief system, That's how I had to frame the strong misgivings and fear that I had. Uh, I I had to to view it through, I'm afraid because I'm afraid I won't be as good 
a servant to Jesus, but I was just afraid. That's, mm. that's just the truth of it. So I do remember Keith told me that he had wanted to perform our wedding ceremony, you know, because he led me to the Lord when I was 14. And he'd obviously played a huge role in my life as a, <laughs> a mid and late teenager. And he set up this marriage. But then he said, uh, well, it's going to look too culty if I do the wedding. So we get Leonard Ravenhill to do it. Yeah, I'm going to stop you there. So you, I heard that pro- the first time when you shared that in your interview. And I was like, he knew. he Like for him to even say that. Yeah. I thought that was a very strange thing to say. Yeah. Uh, and I get it because we – you know, when I came, which was shortly after you got married, I mean, it was still the the van load of hippies going into the local town and going to the back of the grocery store and trying to get their day old food to bring back. And it definitely had a <laughs> lot of culty vibes going on because this was the 80s by the time I came. It wasn't the 60s anymore, but it right. definitely was a throwback to the hippies on the hill. Yeah. All right, so the so the wedding itself, as I said, um, Keith asks Leonard Ravenhill to perform the ceremony, and I've already mentioned this, but in his sermon, he says something like, "These two come to this altar, the holy altar of matrimony, in virgin purity," and I remember just being aghast, like embarrassed, and and wondering how does he even know that. And yet it was seen as a point of pride, us being held up to we are we are role models for all of all of other Christian singles and couples who want to follow in a godly marriage. And I really was just kind of dissociated. I went through it kind of like almost looking at myself from a third party position. I don't remember feeling joy. I don't remember feeling excitement. I just remember feeling kind of numb, And but things are going well, and, and this is what we do. And that was the wedding itself. So I did notice in the pictures that your mom was there. Did she at any point try to have any mother-daughter conversations about uh, what it means to be married, or what are you doing? I don't or- think so. I I don't remember. I don't remember anything like that. And she was kind of a big old mess herself. So I don't know that I actually would have wanted any advice from her. I mean, it's possible that Melody had a, a talk with me sometime ahead. It's probably likely, but I don't remember it. Like I said, there was a lot of just dissociation to just I'm going to get through this. And one thing that as I've looked at the photos that makes me just laugh (laughs) so much is after we changed out of our wedding clothes and, you know, we're hanging out before we're going to go to uh, drive off on our honeymoon and beep had changed into, he was in a t-shirt and jeans and this t-shirt, the front of it said, coming soon, dot, dot, dot. (laughs) And I... Did not at all <laughs> make the association. Uh, I did not because the back of the shirt says Jesus Christ because it's about the second coming of of the Messiah. Oh my god! <laughs> and I'm looking at these pictures now, um, and I I can't imagine that that was not worn 
with actual intent, perhaps at irony or at boastful. I I don't know what, but I I am glad you're saying that because (laughs) it is really hard for me to believe that that was completely innocent. There was no way that was innocent. There's no way because he he had (sighs) had, you know, he had confessed although I don't think he publicly confessed, you know, his sin at the house meetings of the sin of masturbation, but (laughs) he had been into pornography and, and I mean, come on, these are young men, you know, (laughs) that are just being normal sexual beings. And yet it's viewed as being so wrong and sinful. And uh, he was, he was a normal guy in his mid twenties. And so of course he knew what that meant. The well, funny Keith, thing is, Tracy, right? Because oh, Keith, Keith, yeah, Paul and Melody, they were not you know, innocent. They lived a pretty wow. Everybody had to know what that meant, and look at the two of us standing next to each other and kind of smile. That's so and, embarrassing. Well, but <laughs> but I wasn't embarrassed, Tracy, because I had no clue. I know. <laughs> no, even more clue. embarrassing now. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. So oh. anyway, that's that's how I how naive I was. So I just want to, I don't want to talk over you, but I do think that is um, just indicative of exactly how naive we both were. So I would not have noticed that either. This is something that as my sister watched on, because she ended up coming to visit a couple times and even staying there, she would totally clue into and just like, and I mean, no, 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 we don't mean it that way. Um, And yes, and that the fact that you were so naive to that is just again, Par for the course of what you're heading into. Wow. Totally. Totally. So for our honeymoon, because I think that we were dealing with, we had the timing of a newsletter burn or something was going on. I remember that because there was a big question mark about how many days, like originally we were going to go for a week, but because of the delay of, you know, the normal procrastination in the cycle of getting the newsletter ready to go, I think we got well, we got one night for sure. We might have gotten two, maybe. I, it wasn't very oh, much time. Maybe Sharon. it was a little more. I don't really remember. But you know what? It was probably fine because for me, I think I wanted to just get back to the and ministry get and get back to, to work. work. Right. Well, and, and for those of you who don't know, and I've said it before, you and your spouse were the operations. You guys ran everything. And so, yes, for you two specific people to be away as a newsletter, I mean, it's always in cycle at some point would be a huge hardship on the working production of that. So I know you didn't get mentioned in the book, (laughs) (laughs) but you guys really did run it all. So I can see, yeah, that your time away would be limited. Oh, yeah. But like I said, I don't I didn't look at it as, oh my gosh, I wish I'd had more time away with my new husband. I don't remember feeling that at all. So, you know, it's fine. It worked out just fine. But no trip, no special time no, away we drove, just to we, get we, to know each other. No. So we we went to a um no, not at all. We went to this lake cabin near kind of east of Dallas. It was called Lake Tawakany. <laughs> Lake Tawakany. And it was actually, I'm assuming at the time, again, this is like, this was 1981, that it was a newer reservoir. And I remember walking around the lake before it got dark and all these like just 
dead treetops. You know what it looks like when a when a, you know a dam's been put in and a reservoir is being created and all the trees that are still there, you know, they die and they just turn into these dead <laughs> stumps or even tall mm. still trees. And I remember walking around it and it was kind of creepy because all these dead treetops are sticking up out of the lake. Mm. And, you know, here's these once living beautiful things that are now just desiccated and they're just standing there as memorials to what they once were. And, um, you know, I look back on that now and I'm like, huh, that was a little bit maybe Mm. foreshadowing. (laughs) And okay, so for the night itself, I remember being very nervous. And I remember asking him to turn off all the lights before I'd even take my clothes off. And Okay, so I'm going to stop you there. So in our book, and I'll have to look it up to be sure, but I'm pretty sure there's a chapter that deals <laughs> with women asking for the lights to be turned off and how we should you know, not deprive them of being able to see our beautiful, but I guess Tim LaHaye didn't mention that. So you didn't have anything where. I don't remember uh, if it was in the book I read. I, all I know was I was afraid and I just said, can we please turn the lights off? And you you look at you, you're like the most gorgeous thing (laughs) and young and beautiful and how much you should be. I don't think it was about feeling not pretty. It was about just feeling vulnerable and naked. Vulnerable. Mm -hmm. You know, that sense of just vulnerability. Yeah. I was really, I was nervous and, um, so, so we did, you know, he, he was understanding he wasn't, and I now, again, looking back, I now do understand that again, I was in some pretty significant dissociation. Mm. Mm-hmm. And when I recall, I'm viewing myself and us from the side, you know, I'm not like looking out from my own eyes. So I, I don't have a lot of memories of it. I do remember, you know, he would have been on top of me, standard missionary position, and of course, lots of lube, like the good book says, you know, definitely had, definitely had lube. I do remember penetration still being uncomfortable. I remember it hurting. I don't remember all that much more other than it was fairly quick. And there was, you know, of course, there was like no arousal. There was on my part, no arousal, no orgasm. Afterwards, I remember getting in the bathtub. I, I remember sitting in the hot bathtub and just mm. trying to soothe away the, the the physical ache but i'm sure it was also the emotional kind of just the numbness and the ache as well and yeah i again I, i'm kind of looking at myself from over my own shoulder and just just more dissociation but i believed in jesus that is so this is the will of God, and this is the duty of a godly wife, mm-hmm. and I'm going to obey. I'm going to follow Jesus. I'll figure out. I'll make it work. And you know, this is just this is just part of the package. And that's what I remember about the mm. the wedding night. Mm, mm, mm. And then and it, again, this is uh, not about my spouse not being a good lover or being inadequate. It's not about that at all. It's about how and why we got into this for all the wrong reasons. And these were the expectations. You probably didn't have better expectations. No, I didn't. Of the wedding night. I didn't. Okay. Because this is for Jesus. It's not about, you know, I, I mean, that idea of remember, love versus romance. I I mm-hmm. bought into that. I don't need to feel 
mm-hmm. romance. And I did I don't think I had misgivings at the time of, you know, leading up to the wedding like you did. I didn't have that clarity. I do remember one time during the engagement where we had uh, it was a it was a late night thing again <laughs> and and there was something we're working on art room stuff or whatever and my fiance at the time had said something to one of the guys in the art room and had said something pretty harsh and mean it wasn't kind it was it was he was being a bit of an mm. asshole and i remember seeing that and feeling oh no you know that's that's not what jesus wants and thinking okay my role i'm his fiance wife mm-hmm. to be and we're to encourage one another and help each other to be more like Jesus and to walk in the fruit of the Spirit. And so I wrote a little note with a little scripture and and like probably a smiley face and just saying, you know, mm-hmm. just a, a word of encouragement about being patient or kind or something to that effect. I don't remember exactly. But a few minutes later, he came and got me wherever I was and said, just come outside for a minute. And we walked out that sliding glass door, the back the back of the ranch house, uh, and the lights are on, porch light or whatever's on back there, the patio light, because it's dark. And I expected to hear him say, oh, Sharon, thank you so much. You're right. I, I need to let the Holy Spirit guide me more. That's what I expected. Hmm. Instead, I got blasted with you are not my mother. You don't have the right <gasps> to speak to me like this. I mean, just, mm. I mean, so harsh and hard. And I think I broke down in tears. And it just was this shock, this utter, utter shock. And again, we're all coming from places of being fucked up. You know, he had his baggage from from his family of origin and all that other stuff. But it was just it was like an assault. And I, I I felt like this little girl just crumbling inside. And I must have said something to Keith the next day, because I believe Keith, well, I know, I know, because I was, he told me later that Keith came to him, basically read him the riot act about how he had treated me. But there wasn't any like counseling or understanding of like, okay, maybe we got a compatibility issue here, or maybe this is, you know, this is indicative of what this relationship is going to be like, and this doesn't bode well. There was none of that. Hmm. So had I, I mean, if if a friend of mine or a daughter of mine were to tell me, recount a situation like what I experienced in that, I would be pulling all the ropes I could to say, whoa, 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 let's, let's pull that break rope. Right. Let's, let's talk about this. This is, mm -hmm. this is significant. This is serious. There needs to be a lot of discussion and understanding on this because that, this is not a good foundation for any relationship, but that did not happen. No. And I'm good for Keith for pulling him aside, but, Mm -hmm. you know, and later as the teachings would come through the Christian training school, receiving correction was, you know, foundational. Like you're supposed to be able to receive correction from anybody. So for him not to be able to do that uh, kind of was against the very foundations of what we believed in. So definitely a red flag, definitely a red flag. Yeah. And, you know, Sharon, when you're, you know, and it's some of the show notes, when I saw your description, it, it makes me so sad because I can very much enter into you looking at yourself 
experiencing all this. And, you know, now there's a lot of shows out where, you know, particularly in the Mormon circles where, you know, childhood brides have been common practice and obviously they're way underage, right? Mm -hmm, I'm not necessarily mm -hmm. trying to compare it on that level, but there are so many similar elements because you were a child. You were not much more than a child. And it's it's that sense of my body is not my own. My body is God's first, and now he's given it to this man. And so I yeah. am disassociated from it. And then anything that I feel or think I feel or shouldn't feel or should feel, I have to hold that and just wait until what God continues to work it out. And it's such like as a mother, if any of my daughters described that to me, I would be just heartbroken, heartbroken that that's what they are entering into believing is a godly marriage and how sex is supposed to be. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. So what about your wedding night, Tracy? Yeah, so or wedding itself leading to the wedding night or yeah, so all the, of the above. The, <laughs> the the wedding itself again has so many crazy things going on because you know the leadership that we would have chosen to have do our wedding was in Hawaii <laughs> because the ministry was falling apart. And so beep had a dear friend that he wanted to have do the wedding. And because Last Days was going through, uh, you know, I don't even know what you would call it, but this particular pastor friend of my going-to-be husband thought it was his opportunity to preach to the Last Days community about revival and our need for repentance. <laughs> and if you know anything about the Last Days community... The last thing we need is another repentance oh, message. Oh, my God. <laughs> that we did well. Oh, we, we did already, well. It was, we already did that so well. And, of course, all these red flags, but we're going from July to December. I'm getting married into this, <laughs> into this family that I don't even know. So now that family is a very close and connected family and they all come to each other's wedding. So we have relatives of his flying in from all over the country to join us for this wedding. Wow. Which I never expected. Large portion of his family is Jewish. I did not uh, know that. Yes. And then, you know, the other portion is Episcopalian. And then my father is basically a very fallen Catholic with very strong atheistic tendencies, although, you know, if he had to put his chips down, he would still say that the Holy Roman Catholic Church was still the right church. <laughs> so you have all of these people mingling into this congregation of our wedding, and this message of repentance goes on at no life for two hours. I'm embarrassed. Are you standing I'm up? mortified. Are you standing? So Wait, we were standing, standing and then they brought us. So I had signed up for, hey, I do want this to be a time of worship that people can feel kind of all the good things that we believed at that time would draw people to Jesus. Uh, Tracy, 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 were you going to have spiritual orgasms during that time of worship? <laughs> So remember in Song of Solomon, how there were the little cheerleaders? <laughs> the cheerleaders in the Song of Solomon. No, I do not really remember. I yes. do not remember cheerleaders okay. in the Song of Solomon. No, I don't. Sorry. 
please inform me. Okay, well, they're not necessarily like football cheerleaders, but they're basically cheering on, I guess it was the marriage of Song of Soul. It's been a while since I read it, but we did have three little Wait, dancers. wait a second. You mean they're like watching them fuck and they're like going, yeah, yeah, give it to her. Is that kind of cheerleaders? So in the Song of Solomon, it does get very spicy and it gets very orgy-like, I would say now, reading it, you know, as far as, you know, Solomon had 50, I don't know, however many wives and concubines. He had a lot. And there, there is a place in there. We're probably going to have to edit this because I'm Let's just stop a minute. Wait, 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 wait. So I want to stop a minute. That is not, that is not an orgy. That's a harem. An orgy would be a mixed crowd. Yes. All of whom are there out of choice and desire. So no, I'm sorry. Solomon wasn't having orgies. He was having his harem that he could do with what he wanted. Yes. And I don't know how we got from that in the Bible to what we were now living. (laughs) We were very far from that. Um, But we did have these back to the orgasm and worship. It's like, yes, this is a celebration of the covenant of the coming together of these people to live for Jesus. And so we did have these three dancers up at the front, all dressed in white (laughs) It's so bad, Sharon. It's so embarrassing. It was so bad. Do you have video? You have video. I couldn't. I couldn't watch the video for years because this. It's it's like a parody on a wedding. It's so bad. And I knew it was bad at the time. And so they had already planned to bring us chairs when you know the sermon was going to be preached, but. Oh, there was no no chair comfortable enough for the length of that wedding. Oh. And so one of the other local churches in the area was doing the worship part. And he was actually a fair balanced guy. And we're making eye contact through this wedding. And I'm my eyes are saying, get this man to stop. <laughs> and he's looking at me like, I can't. I don't know what to do. And I'm thinking, what if I pass out? If I pass out, he has to stop. And so... <laughs> this and and I'm squeezing my you know I guess what he's my betrothed I'm squeezing his hand like this is so awful I hate this and that was his friend who was up there and that creeping. was his friend and it was not only his friend doing that but they were going to be the ones driving us to our honeymoon the next day so um, excellent <laughs> my dad walked out of the wedding I can hear him over my left sh- shoulder saying not under his breath at all, they're out of their collective minds. <laughs> so I'm heartbroken oh. that he's just walked out. Oh. So my sister didn't have a place to go afterwards, so I'm trying to get her to have a place to stay. And so a lot, lot of feels, a lot of emotions in this wedding. Mm. Uh, so that will figure in differently when we start going into what divorce is and dedicate a whole episode to that because that's, you know, that's right. a whole other topic. But you are married for life, right? I'm getting ready as you yep. were to make the commitment that would be till death do us part. It is till for the rest of death, my life. Till death 
do us part. Till yes. death do us part. So we we had read the book in preparation, and there was a really cute Victorian tea room that was about 45 minutes from the ministry, run by Seventh-day Adventists. So they had, I think we got married on a Saturday, it must have been. And so they were out of the house, which was very convenient for us Uh, because that's their Sabbath. And so they gave us the key, kind of like Airbnb before Airbnb. So we had Mm. this whole Victorian house to ourselves, which was super cute. And then the next day we were going to drive into Dallas, which is two hours away, and then fly to Kiowa Island, South Carolina, which was a wedding gift from one of my spouse's uh, friends who had a home there. Still all done on the cheap, as cheap as possible, because we didn't want to squander God's money. There's not a lot of money. Yep. So I didn't, you know, want him to spend money on a wedding ring. So that was donated to us. Our honeymoon was donated to us. You know, all the flowers and the decorations donated. The kitchen crew donated the food. So a lot of love. People did really step up in that area to bless each other, which which is one of the good things, right? We have a lot of things Mm -hmm. that we're saying that are not (laughs) the good things, but that's one of the good things that that people really tried to give to one another and gave a lot of their time, which wasn't wasn't in a plenty because they were working so long. So we went to this beautiful Victorian tea room, and everything in the book said to take it slow. There was a lot of emphasis on making sure that the woman is comfortable, which I had mixed feelings about it because it's as though I'm, the book is written as though the woman is about to lose something very precious which is hmm. part of my whole problem with this whole purity culture. Mm-hmm. So my my spouse was also a card-carrying member of this purity culture, and he was a virgin. I was going to ask you, was your spouse a virgin? Yes, he was a virgin. Okay. Yes, he was a virgin as well. But it was still all about almost like treat her so carefully and so gently because she's about, I think, to be traumatized like never before. <laughs> but it's, it's all God and you have to kind of handle it well. And it was just weird. Oh my God. You know what, Tracy? I it, Pause this for just one second because here's what I'm thinking. I'd never really kind of connected those dots. But if you're viewing it from yeah, this woman is not really into it because think about what comes out of the that whole arranged thing, whether it's families arranging it or or religious systems arranging it or whatever, and somebody else is making the decision for this woman as to whom she's going to marry. Yeah, something is about to be stolen and trampled all over her. And so, yeah, you should be compassionate and gentle because she is about to be traumatized. And so it's really mm. interesting now to think about the men who are writing that, right? Tim LaHaye mm-hmm. and who is the dude, Ed Wheat or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if you're looking at a young woman who's about to be, quote, deflowered, end quote, it is being done to her. It is not something she's entering in as an equal partner. And therefore, if you can help the uh, the dude who's doing it, to try to be a little bit more gentle when he takes and breaks, when then takes. Uh, mm-hmm. takes and breaks. Yeah, then that would be seen as, you know, godly and compassionate. And holy fuck, it's really fucked up. It it really, it really is. And again, I think 
why I'm having so much conflict within myself is because I am a child of the 70s and I didn't come from a family that, you know, was prim and proper and all buttoned out. My sister did live a little bit of a wild life and she had told me things. And so I was adopting this lifestyle because it was supposed to be healthier and better and ultimately for God. But there was still something from my 70s-ness that said, this should be fun. <laughs> I, I, I've waited all this time to do it God's way, and this should be fun. But the whole tenor of the book, is it tenor of the book, the tone of the book, was that I'm not entering into the most fun of my life. I'm entering into this ritual that is going to take something from me. And I think, especially if you marry someone who is also a virgin, he doesn't have a sense of, oh, this is the most fun either that I'm going to have. Like this is a, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. this is a, a consecration that we have to do. So well, there was think, definitely, go ahead. I was going to say, I think your spouse was entering into it because he's being obedient to God, but you were not his first choice. My spouse mm-hmm. was entering into it. He's being obedient to God, but yeah, he's totally into me. So, you know, I there was a difference in the dynamic. Yes, and almost in your dynamic. And that's why I was so sad when I read that, because yours seems to go along the lines of those arranged marriages of old in other cultures, other religious, you know, systems. He he was in good with the leader who got him a good wife. <laughs> mm. And so I think that dynamic is just so sad, especially when, you know, comes to the wedding night and it's a duty. You're doing your duty. Mm-hmm. And I think that I definitely knew it was my duty, but I also believed it was supposed to be fun. Mm. And uh, so I, I, I wouldn't say resented. That's probably too strong of a word, but I definitely felt the painstaking we're following a manual and this is not the fun that I expected. Back in uh, the 80s, gunny sacks was a really popular brand of dress. And so I had a really beautiful dress that uh, had buttons, those Victorian buttons all down the front. And so he did unbutton those and I didn't ask to have the lights turned off. I had really done a lot of what was the Christian form of jazzercise at the time. I was doing that like a couple times a week (laughs) to to Stormy O'Martin. So you're really trying to get my body in tip top shape. So I was pleased with where my body was at. And so I was not shy and not afraid for him to unbutton. And he seemed to like what he saw. And we decided (laughs) to take a bath together first, which is always a good thing for me. I love baths. That was the most fun part of the night. We're doing that. And then it's like, okay, now we have to get out of the tub and do the deed. (laughs) Mm, So it mm -hmm. was this sense of, I've got this, you know, this performance that's facing me that I have to do it. And of course, in the book, because, you know, the preparation is to put the towel down. I don't know if your book went into that great detail, but it was make sure that you lay a towel down in case there is any bleeding so that you don't Mm. mess up the sheets. And because we were in this beautiful Victorian tea room, I was very conscious of not wanting to mess up so much so that I was like, where's the towel? Where's the towel? Am I over the towel? Right? Very conscious of the towel. 
<laughs> um, so we go from kind of the unveiling. It's the first time he's seen me naked. I think that was all good. I'm feeling confident. Um, go into the bathtub, and that was that was nice. And then we go into the bed, and we lay the towel down, and then. So this is where I think the book really fails because there's not, I think it mentions foreplay, but I couldn't really connect the dots on what that was. And, you know, we'd spent our lifetime really turning all these valves off. And so Mm -hmm. now it is the duty of getting this done without having any valves turned on. There's no like, let's turn on, you know, lust, let's turn on attraction, let's turn on all this stuff Mm. at all at all. It was, okay, that was fun. I'm going to get on top of you and I'm going to enter you. And he could not get in. Like Mm. not, not getting in. (laughs) Because you were a virgin, verified virgin. I was a virgin. And if, you know, this is too graphic, we warned you guys. And so he tried once, he tried again. And so now this is where I'm very conscious of the towel because now we're having to change up um, positions, but it was very much almost like a clinical exam. It's kind of like, okay, I think he felt probably a little, you know, definitely flustered. Yeah. Because, um, you know, the book said, you know, it might be a little difficult. I didn't have the book that told me to stretch. I had that before my first baby that told me to stretch. So I missed mm-hmm. that key part of advice. <laughs> um, Then it was like, let's just get this over. In my head, I didn't say that out loud, but it's like, this is embarrassed. I'm embarrassed now. I'm a little Mm. bit freaked out because does this happen? How many times does this happen that someone just doesn't fit in? Um, And so he tries Mm. and he tries and then, da-da, he gets in and it definitely hurts me. And Mm -hmm. he, but you know, he's been taught to be gentle. Are you okay? I'm like, I would, of course I'm okay. I would be grinning and bearing. (laughs) Like, I was Mm -hmm. like, yep, yep, Mm -hmm. I'm okay. And so he, I think, does a a few thrusts and then he, he comes and then he pulls out and he's still partially on top of me and he goes, that's it. With that tone and with that disappointment. And this is why I started saying, hey, guys, this purity culture is bad for men, too. He has waited his whole adult life turning off valves to have this most amazing time. And that was his unguarded, truthful response of, that's that's what I've been fighting all the time. And as Mm. soon as he said that, I was crushed. Crushed. I can't even imagine Because I failed. I felt like I failed in my most important wifely duty. And then, you know, so I tried to care about the towel again and get it up before we moved around too much. And it was, of course, the proof that I was a virgin, Sharon. It was a very bloody towel. <laughs> uh, maybe if I'd been a horseback rider like you, it would have <laughs> like been better. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't remember any blood. I remember it being uncomfortable, but I don't remember any blood. And so that was our wedding night. And, you know, we have a lifetime. We have a lifetime to figure this out. And so I do also think I got back in the bathtub mainly because it, you are, you're, you're wanting to feel clean. Um, even though logically, you know, I'm supposed to be clean before Jesus and just sad. I was just very, very, very sad. And, you know, you say um, you, you thought, you thought we have a lifetime to figure this out. Or was it 
I have a lifetime. This is what I've got to do for the rest of my life. I think at that time, it was still, we have a whole honeymoon ahead of us. Um, and he wasn't cruel at all. I mean, right. I feel and like neither it was, was raw honesty. It no. was, you know, just raw, raw honesty. Now I would know we just, we didn't do anything to even foster chemistry together. So mm-hmm. that's mm-hmm. just what, what that was. But then we had to go into Dallas, meet this person who just ruined my wedding. <laughs> <laughs> So there was just waves of other emotions also. So there was sadness, there was dread, there was, oh my God, what have I done? And, you know, soon, within two weeks, I would be pregnant. Was that intentional? Did you intend to get pregnant? We, uh, I don't know how you guys earlier, well, I got married in 1986, you got married in 1980. I got married in 81 and we did use birth control. I was on the pill for a couple months before we got married. Because back then, so the, time- the emphasis was on work, right? And, and, and children, yes. children would keep married couples from being able to spend as many hours working for the kingdom. So yeah, so we were using birth control. Yes. And so in that time between when you got married and I got married, the winds were a changing yeah. <laughs> because uh, every married couple at last days that got married when I got married started to shift to you should trust God with your family size. Mm, you shouldn't mm-hmm, use birth control. Mm-hmm. Natural family planning is okay, but really children are a blessing from the Lord. So why would you be trying to prevent that? So we went into that right out of the gate. And natural family planning isn't just a way to welcome a bouncing baby child <laughs> to your well, the, world. Well, you know what the, <laughs> they call uh, they call couples who use uh, the rhythm method, parents. <laughs> That's what you call them, parents. Yeah. And you know, whenever <laughs> I would hear that before I was married, I thought it was the way you did sex. Oh, like the rhythm of the... Yes. (laughs) I was like, oh, so there must be this secret rhythm that if you do, it's your birth control. That's how naive I was. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Well, we're going to have another whole episode about this birth control and quiverful and all that other stuff. So uh, we'll, we'll, we'll save that for... For another one, but for another one, because that's yeah. yes, that definitely impacts. So, uh, the flood of emotions from my wedding to my wedding night to my honeymoon, and I can't understate that the ministry falling apart during this time added a whole other emotional layer to our newly blossoming marriage as well. Just the the depression and the spiritual confusion and the questioning in the midst of as soon I would be pregnant with those hormonal changes. I will add that my father died three weeks after I got married. Mm. So the grief of losing my dad, there was a host of layers of emotional stuff as I was starting this thing called marriage. So it's like um, the perfect in- storm to just make it as hard and difficult and horrible as possible. Even and though from the beginning it, it wasn't it wasn't the right match to begin with, was yeah, it? Yeah, and so sex was just a small piece of yeah. the overall just turmoil, but it was definitely a piece of the turmoil that I locked away very, very secretly because it was my secret shame. I did feel like a sexual mm. failure, uh, a failure to my husband, a failure to myself 
you know, now I would see, wow, there's some real mental health issues there, but it was so wrapped in shame that I didn't feel like I could talk to anybody. And, um, I, I held, I held a lot of that for years. I clearly, because I didn't have an orgasm until I was 30. So if I was married at 23 and I didn't have an orgasm until I was 30, you will see that there was seven years of some deep confusion there. Wow. Well, Tracy, once again, I think we have uh, taken a lot more time to talk about this than we expected to. And I think we're going to have to pause where we are and pick it up again on our next episode. What do you think? I think you are right. This pee trail is a little bit longer than we (laughs) thought it would be. (laughs) Yes, it is. Because we still need to cover the parting and the after party. So, and guys, as, as Tracy said before, yeah, we we're talking about heavy stuff. There's definitely heavy stuff, but there is also a lot of fun and a lot of crazy stuff to laugh at. (laughs) So we hope you'll tune in for our next episode. In the meantime, be sure to follow us on whatever podcast platform you use. Feet of Clay, Confessions of the Cult Sisters. Give us a good rating if you liked it and uh, share it with your friends. Tell them about us. Yep. And also check us out on Instagram, feedofclay.cultsisters, where you can see some pictures of some of the things we're talking about. (laughs) (laughs) There's some great pictures. That's for sure. (laughs) Especially if you're interested in that shirt that Sharon's spouse wore. Before she went on her honeymoon, it's it's right there. there. Instagram, feet of clay, (laughs) dot cult sisters. All right, folks. Well, thanks for hanging in there with us. And we look forward to talking to you in a couple of weeks. 